Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hooker Show, a presentation of Off the Hook Sports. Objective insight, expertise, top guest. Available on YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and the Off the Hook Sports app. Download now for free. Also available on OffTheHookSports.com. I compute and obey. Now to Dave Hooker. Here we go. A lot going on, and Georgia's not going to the White House. Auburn and South Carolina might be in Tennessee's way to a full return to elite level. They're pretty close already. Why Tennessee is one of the two or three best teams in the nation with championship hopes that has to replace a quarterback. Also a changing of the guard. And Big 12, Pac-12 talk. And then Drew D- Armand, he is a certain safe bet. Get it? To have one, he covers the University of Alabama, so we'll get the latest on their baseball team. And also his Tennessee, to the point, he's a big-time recruiting reporter. And we'll get his thoughts as Tennessee now standing toe-to-toe with Tennessee and Georgia because I think you and I would agree, uh, Caleb, that – at some point, you win those battles at least 30 to 50% of the time against Alabama and Georgia independently. You have to do that to become a true national power. And, and Tennessee is winning some of those battles, but I don't think at a high clip currently. Good morning, Caleb Calhoun. Good morning. How's it going? Going well. Going well. A lot going on. So let's go ahead and get it started because – 
I read an article about the University of Texas and what would define them in being back. So what it takes for them to be back. So I wanted to ask the very same question about the Vols. What would define that? Because there are different levels of being back. So as much as anything, I want to get your thoughts on the message board and on Twitter as well as what would mean the balls are back. It's today's tough question. It's brought to you by Craven Wings. Never fresh, always frozen. They've got that fantastic Saturday morning brunch at the Chodo location. So go to cravenwings.com to learn more. Great food. Today's tough question. Now, today's tough question. Take a side. Take a stand. The Dave Hooker Show, a presentation of offthehooksports.com. Okay, so Caleb, let me ask you, to be back, what would define being back in your mind? And I've got a couple of different options for you, and if you can throw it out there on the message board, your thoughts, it would be winning the East – which really there may not not even be an East for much longer. So essentially that's beating Georgia right now. So we'll lump that together. Would it be winning the SEC? Would it be making the playoffs, which you can do without winning the SEC? Would it be making it to a national title game? Um, Would it be making it to just Atlanta for an SEC championship game? And and by back, I don't mean – They're champions or established. By back, I mean you go into every year like you did in the 1990s and early 2000s thinking Tennessee has a chance to make it to Atlanta and beyond. That was the mindset. I know it only happened a couple of times, three times in that time period that they made it it to Atlanta and won national championship. But uh, that, that is my definition of back, where you go into every year and you think, you got a puncher's chance at the very least. So what would define being back in your mind? And then we'll go to the message board and get your all's thoughts and what defines being back. And now okay, Travis, so- and Travis says uh, next, uh, okay, we won over nine and a half this year. So if they went out the over under uh, nine and a half, they're a hundred percent back. I think it takes a little bit more than that, Travis. I'll be honest with you. I think you've got to at least get to Georgia. Caleb, you. So I wouldn't just say beating Georgia because Georgia could have a rebuilding year. Tennessee just beat Alabama last year. And, you know, until about when Josh Heupel was hired, people would have considered beating Alabama back automatically the same way we're considering beating Georgia now. Or Georgia to play really poorly, turn the ball over. Yeah. So the one one game doesn't define it. I agree. Exactly. Hey, Tennessee football at their worst, if you look throughout the history, has some, I mean, 1959, guys, their one win over a unanimous number one team was 1959. That was a very mediocre team known as the stop against Billy Cannon. Go look it up. It's a great part of Tennessee football history. Um, uh, But so to be back, I would say a playoff semifinal, which would just be the playoff this year, but it would be a semifinal in the years after. They got to get to a playoff semifinal. That's back. And then over a four-year span, once the playoff goes to 12 teams, they need to be in the playoff three of those four years. You can forgive them missing one year because think the 90s. They, they would have missed a 12-team playoff in 94, in 92, in 2000. But no one would have said they weren't back. Those were just kind of rebuilding years. So they got to make the 12-team playoff three out of four years and make a semifinal once every four years. 
on a okay. overall scale. Okay, so you're not placing as much of an emphasis on the SEC in a potential SEC championship game bid. Why? I think I hate as much as I hate to admit this, the importance of conference championships are dying very, very, very fast. The SEC is about to become a 16-team conference with eight teams. Guys, think about this for a minute. The SEC is about to be a 16-team conference with eight teams that have won a national title in the BCS era since the BCS started. You know how insane that is? Like, and all eight of those teams expect to be competing for national titles every other year. And by the way, that doesn't include Texas A&M. That has all that you would at least agree, Dave, whatever you think of Jimbo Fisher. Texas A&M has the resources to be right there with all the other programs, don't they? Yes, I think they're one of uh, probably 10, 12 programs that can say, hey, we've got every bit of, of the facilities and cash now with NIL to, to make this happen. I, I'm going to say, get, to me, it's just the Georgia hurdle and, and, winning, and winning the East. But, and I say that because I believe that Georgia – now, if they repod this thing, we're talking about something else. But getting to Atlanta and overcoming whatever hurdle that might be, it might be Alabama again, it might be – might still be Georgia if they're in some sort of pod together. But to me, getting to Atlanta and playing for a championship means back. And being in that spotlight, how that would help you in recruiting, a championship on the line, and everybody is watching that. So to me, that's back, back. And, um, I, you know, the other thing would be no slip-ups like South Carolina. I mean, I understand – if South Carolina, if we're having the conversation that South Carolina came out and played Tennessee really, really strong for three quarters, but Tennessee came back and won, we're having a far different conversation. So that's the way Tennessee was back in the day. Their talent level was so good, Caleb, that they were able to overcome flat days and great performances by the Kentuckys and the Vanderbilts of the world. And I'm not comparing South Carolina to those teams, but tennis, I am comparing Tennessee to those championship contending teams. So they have to get to Atlanta, and then I want to see what happens moving forward. I think that's all it would take to be able to win some of those recruiting battles. Now, Tennessee was able to do that in the 90s without getting to the SEC championship game. They won recruiting battles against Georgia before they even got to it. But I think that's what it takes right now, whether it's winning the East or the Southeast pod or whatever it is. I think it's getting to Atlanta. I think that's the next step. And at that point, I believe you can say Tennessee, even if they lose a Hendon Hooker and, and all the guys that they lost and uh, Byron Young, if they have that type of year where they lose, uh, was it five guys in the first three rounds, they can still have a puncher's chance because the talent level has risen overall. So to me, it's just making it, it to Atlanta. What happens after that? is up to Josh Heupel, but you got to make it to Atlanta. That is my big step. Basically what you're seeing, and I kind of agree with you on this. I, I used to run a, when I first started at FanSide, I worked at Saturday Blitz. I run some different college football sites where I did previews for every team in the country. And for about 85% of them, I would place a heavy emphasis on the number of returning starters. Then I would get to Alabama or LSU, and <laughs> I'd be matter. like, okay, they only have 12 returning starters, but who cares? Right. <laughs> it's 
So Tennessee needs to be there where you don't even care about the number of returning starters. That's irrelevant because you know, the guys behind them are still good. No. And if, if you compete and win against half the sec, which it would be now, again, we don't know what it's going to do with the pod thing. And, and you get to Atlanta, if they do a pod thing, however they do it, if you get to Atlanta, you're going to be in the playoff. You're going to, even if you lose, probably you're going to be in the playoff and you're going to be one of the top five teams in the nation because that's the SEC and that's who they are. I mean, you might you have another five, but you'll get a home game in the first round, basically. Right. I mean, you might have another TCU pop up one day, but if you're in the SEC championship game, you're one of the, the top four or five teams probably in the nation. We're talking about currently with, and, and things may change with Texas. We'll see, but currently we're talking about, uh, Southern California, we're talking about Ohio State, Michigan as the other teams that could be in that outside the conference. So that right there, you know, if there are two teams that go to Atlanta. That's pretty much a top five. Would you agree with that? Yeah, easily. I mean, I agree. That's you're pretty much in the top five. And and thank God for the 12 team playoff, because this is where it's important. You'll actually still want to play in that game. Because if you just had a, you know, if you had a 16 team playoff, I'm going to be honest, if you're in Atlanta, then you just rest your starters for this title game. <laughs> and so, no, no, no. You can never rest your starters for an SEC title. Yes, you do. The conference, it, 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 they they are going to turn the conference championship game into the conference tournaments in basketball if they keep expanding this playoff. That's just my warning. No, it's winning the SEC is almost as big as the winning the national championship to a whole lot of fans i think that's to fans from the 90s like but i think i think nowadays the fact because of how much they've nationalized the sport i don't think it has the same value i don't think georgia cares that they didn't win the sec in 2021 i think they are glad they won the national title i don't think oh, Nick Saban cares that he didn't oh, win it in 2017 i think when they get together in 25 years by the way the celebrate 98 series is up eric westmoreland they're 25 years since Tennessee won a national championship. So please check that out. Hit the like button, subscribe, and we'd appreciate that. I think in 25 years when they get together, they're like, darn it. The one blemish on that run was losing to Alabama and the SEC title. I, I think that will stick in their crawl. I don't think it will. I, that's I like, that's like, that, that be. I mean, there's you think it sticks in the Red Sox crawl that they didn't win the AL East when they overcame the curse of the Bambino in 2004? No. They're like, okay, we didn't win the AL East, but who cares? We won the World Series. <laughs> well, the message board agrees with you. National title outweighs SEC title exponentially. I'm, I'm just going to argue that. I, I think that if you win the SEC title, that's a demonstration that you were able to survive the best conference and beat the best teams in the nation. And then something goofy could happen in the playoffs. You could turn the ball over five times. I, and so exponentially, I would disagree with you, Travis, but um, significantly, I, I would definitely agree with that. I mean, it's very significant, but I mean, I, I think the SEC title is, is still something that's, that's pretty darn awesome. So I'm not I'm not willing to write that off um, as just something. It's not an SEC basketball tournament, I guess is what I'm saying. I mean, I'm it, saying, it, it's never going to be. Don't but the more you extend the – see, here's the thing. I – I'm okay. I'm, look, for the record, I'm okay with a 12 team playoff. Right now, the conference tournament, the conference championship still does matter because you're not just playing, you're playing for a first round bye in the conference championship if you're playing in that. That's a huge deal. So there's something to celebrate. Plus, you get a first round bye. So you don't have to play that first weekend of games, which I think you and I both agree 
you don't want to play that first weekend if you can help it. You want that month off. Right. Uh, I agree. But, um, man, I, I hate that. I, I hope I hope you're dead wrong. <laughs> because, I mean, for the record, I mean, you may be right, but I, the SEC title should mean something. For the record, for the first, like, 60 years of the SEC's existence, there wasn't a conference title game, and winning the conference title was still a big deal. I mean, you know, so it's... it's if you're hanging a banner, whether or not it's a big deal. Are arbitrary or not. If you're hanging a banner, it's a big deal, and they would hang a banner. They would hang an SEC championship. You know, you know you can hang a banner for winning the NIT, right? Well... Bassy Lawn and Garden Man Alive, it's worth the drive. Bassy Lawn and Garden has the mowers you need for your industrial and commercial fleet. Whether you're in Nashville, Knoxville, or Chattanooga, they're in Cleveland, Tennessee. You'll love them. Bassy Lawn and Garden Man Alive, it's worth the drive. So you say they have to make the semifinals, which would essentially be the final four. So I guess my expectations, now I'm I'm thinking that they're going to continue to grow, but my expectations for me saying Tennessee's back is able to make it uh, to Atlanta in some shape, form, or fashion. So let's take a look at a couple of teams that Tennessee's going to have to overcome in order to do that, and that's uh, Auburn and South Carolina. So uh, college football transfer portal winners and losers from the spring window, and what do you think of what Auburn and South Carolina did? I know we have a lot of South Carolina fans, and I've been eating crow for, I guess, right at eight months. I thought Tennessee would hammer South Carolina. We all know what happened there. I thought Shane Beamer was in over his head. It doesn't look like that's the case after beating Clemson and playing Notre Dame well in the bowl game. So, And they're recruiting well, and they're pretty hot. So um, this, this South Carolina team that I dismissed, I'll tell you, South Carolina fans, I did, and I was wrong. Uh, this South Carolina program, is on the ups. I have questions if they can maintain it, but they're on the ups right now. They absolutely are. South Carolina is ranked ahead of Tennessee still in recruiting. That's a big deal. That I mean, I can't stress enough. That's a that's a big deal. Clemson, I said back in January, Clemson is a program on the slide, and I still think that. But it doesn't matter if they're declining if South Carolina is emerging and they're still both solid because – that really ices out Tennessee recruiting. Guys, Tennessee needs to be able to poach South Carolina talent if they're going to be good. They Completely can't agree. win without doing that. And the, it's no coincidence Tennessee wins the national title. And their last SEC title was 1998. Lou Holtz came to South Carolina in 1999. Guys, that's not a coincidence. That's not a coincidence at all. They first missed out on a bowl game, like the really end of the run that they had in the 90s and 2000s. The first year they missed out, Steve Spurrier took over in 2005. They missed out on a bowl game in 2005. Again, not a coincidence. The darkest period of Tennessee football history was during the best period of South Carolina football history, the 2010 to 2013 era, and then while Clemson was emerging as one of the best programs in football. This isn't... These aren't mistakes. You want to talk about slide and decline? 2003-2004 Peach Bowl, where Tennessee lost to Clemson. Dave, I'm sure you covered that game. Yes. We don't think that had a huge impact on Tennessee recruiting in South Carolina when that game happened. Uh, it's it's funny you mention that. I, I don't think that single games usually have big impacts, but I thought that one did. I thought that, that kind of showed you the direction of both programs and – um, yeah, I thought that was a, a very significant loss. That's probably only one of five games in 15 years of covering recruiting 
that I would put as that made a big difference on the recruiting trail because most kids don't really look at one game for the most part. Yes, exactly. They don't. And and it, it, this was one, though, where Tennessee's on thin ice trying to – they're hanging by a thread trying to keep South Carolina kids. And this was a big deal when they lost that. And the thing that was crazy was everybody knew Tennessee was the better team, but everybody, I'm sure you knew, Tennessee did not want to be in that game. They thought they had a chance at a BCS Bowl, and they were so – they were top six team, and they're stuck playing an unranked Clemson. And, you know, just ever since then, it's been a big deal. So, yeah, South Carolina recruiting is a big deal. Tennessee's got to blow them out this year. They've got to prove that South Carolina was a fraud last year. It is, that is the, that almost has to be a circle of a game as Alabama, Florida, and Georgia. Because if they can't destroy South Carolina and prove that last year was a complete fraud, if they let South Carolina hang around, they're in big, big, big trouble. It's like the serial killer in a slasher film, guys. You gotta, you gotta, like, you can't, you know, in the, you know, in the slasher films day when they punch Michael Myers and he's knocked out and they think they're good and then he gets back up. No, you got to chop Michael Myers' head off. You got to chop South Carolina's head off. Uh, I don't watch scary movies because they scare me, um, but my <laughs> wife loves them. I've never understood the point of scary movies. I'll jump on the biggest roller coaster and have in the world, but scary movies, I'll take your word for it. So the other team that Tennessee needs to be concerned about may be a bit of a surprise. It was to me when Caleb suggested it. Uh, portions of the program brought to you by Campbell Cunningham, Taylor and Han. No contacts. How about that? And also uh, no glasses. I can see far. I can see near. Thanks to my LASIK surgery. They do cataract surgery as well. They've got the individual eye uh, locations that they can take care of your eyes just with the annual checkups that we all need. So uh, Auburn, uh, a transfer portal winner, and yes, that's uh, almost an understatement as Auburn brings in a quarterback, uh, Peyton Thorne of Michigan State, a wide receiver, Caleb Burton from Ohio State, offensive lineman Jaden Muskrat, I just like him because of his name, from Tulsa, outside linebacker Jalen McLeod of uh, Appalachian State. So, um, you know, the kid out of Appy State, uh, and I would think the muskrat guys are, are guys that are going to have impacts because you've been able to see them at the college level. Do they get their next quarterback in Peyton Thorne? But I was a little bit surprised that you suggested Auburn as a hurdle for Tennessee. Why? Auburn's a recruiting hurdle. Tennessee and Auburn recruit this similar areas. And I, I want to go back in history on this one too. 1993, Terry Belton takes over Auburn. They go 11 and 0. You remember that year, I'm sure, Dave, right? When they went 11 and 0, couldn't play for it. Okay. What was underrated about that was that program was sliding because they had just gotten wrecked with probation. And because of that, recruiting suffered majorly to quote a former president. Recruiting suffered bigly. Okay. <laughs> and did, so, did a president use bigly? Trump used to say that a lot. It was a. Uh, That's not a word. He would say it. It's nevertheless, it's, let's, <laughs> we got a little politics coming up and it's as far as I want to go. Into. So go ahead. Give me your bigly answer to why Auburn's so disconcerting. Okay. So they suffered in recruiting. Don't pretend that didn't have a huge help on Tennessee being able to poach Georgia, Georgia being down. Cause Auburn is one of the schools that likes to poach Georgia. So Tennessee poached Georgia a lot in the nineties without competition from Auburn, even and Georgia was obviously not competition because they were struggling. So that was a big deal. Again, Tennessee wins the SEC championship in 1998. I mean, that's their last SEC title. Yes, they beat Auburn, and I know Auburn played for the SEC title in 97. Anybody that knows college football knows that the SEC West during that time was like a minor league conference, wasn't it? I mean, it was a garbage division during that time yes. period. Yes. Um, the, 
Auburn's scary for, I think, a, a couple of different reasons. Uh, Hugh Freeze, if he, he still has the recruiting ties that he once had, is going to be really, really good at Memphis, right? And there yeah. are two or three of those cats he's going to win. And mm-hmm. Tennessee, that Tennessee wants. So Memphis becomes very much more um, a competitive battlefield than it always has been, but inner Auburn. And because particularly I, I with Lane Kiffin at Ole Miss already still there getting Memphis kids. So yeah, you have Lane at Ole Miss. And then, as you know, because you're from Memphis, it's just not a one college town. I mean, it's, it's almost like going to Atlanta where you, you bump into somebody and you say, who do you root for? And you have no idea who they're going to say. But if you're in Knoxville, they always, they nine times out of 10 say Tennessee. If you're in Tuscaloosa, nine times. But if, for those that haven't been to Memphis, it's just a wide open state. You don't know where those cats are going. So even Atlanta and New Orleans, they still at least lean to Georgia and LSU. There's no lean in Memphis whatsoever. Every Memphis. SEC team has a fan base in Memphis. I, I, I'm, I don't think so really in Atlanta. I mean, just because it, I don't, because it's so cosmopolitan, and oh I've, yeah, that's true. You're right. And I've 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 co-hosted the Chuck or I've hosted sub-hosted the uh, Chuck Oliver show, and he's a firm believer. You hit on all schools. Now that's a syndicated show, but nevertheless, it's it's a weird deal. I mean, I bumped into people, and they're like Michigan State. I bump into people like UCLA. It just now, if you get what I what's called the Nat line by recruiters, do you know what that means? No. No, okay, so you know when you're driving south in the summer and your windshield's fine, and then suddenly you hit uh, the uh, gnats start hitting your windshield. Oh yeah. So that's just about uh, probably 50 miles south of Atlanta. You hit the gnat line. At that point, everybody is Georgia fans. You will not find a fan anywhere else below the gnat line, and it's really tough to get guys out of there as a matter of fact i bumped into a guy at the gym this morning from warner robbins and it made me think of jason respert to go way back in time center for the university of tennessee you remember him jason respert yep yep to go and, a little more recent i think marcus calloway's from warner robbins too yeah so um I, I below the nat line i'm with you on the outside of the perimeter of atlanta i'm with you but that's pretty cosmopolitan oh, you and i would both agree despite the impact that auburn and south carolina could have in in on Tennessee's recruiting, we would both agree that Georgia is the behemoth they have to top in recruiting, right? That is the elephant in the room, and the, and the th- that's the difference between now. If there's one difference between now and the '90s, it's Georgia. But it doesn't help that Auburn and South Carolina are making moves too. Yeah, you can finish. You can finish second to Alabama in recruiting. And if you do that for three straight years and you're ahead of Georgia, you're going to win a national title. Exactly. Exactly. Bingo, bango. There's just absolutely. By the way, this is a threat to Alabama too long-term, you know, and when Nick Saban retires, it's hard. It's, there's so much competition in this area. Everybody's, everybody's going for the Georgia kids. Put it that way. That is the state. You got six schools all fighting for Georgia kids in South Carolina secondary, obviously. And it, I mean, guys, it's difficult for Tennessee. Georgia not going to the White House. Political or not, we'll chat. I say yes. Caleb covers politics. He might have some insight, but they have declined going to the White House, which I'll just go ahead and tell you, I think it's a slap in the face. Coming up next off the hook sports. 
to own the more that owns every job? Then get the Vasti Lawn and Garden in Cleveland and get you a Toro. I'm David Vasti, here to talk to you about Toro. With a Toro Zero turn, you'll get more out of every minute and you'll reach the finish line faster. At Bassies, we like to say, no matter if you're mowing three acres a week or 11 lawns a day, homeowners and business owners alike find confidence in equipment they can trust from top to bottom. Bassie Lawn and Garden, Highway 60 North in Cleveland. Man alive, it's worth the drive. Hi, Mike Davis here with City Heating and Air, reminding you to always dare to compare. Our team provides quality local heating and air service, installation, and maintenance across East Tennessee. We use only the best equipment like American Standard Heating and Air Conditioning for your residential, new construction, or commercial needs. Honesty, dependability, and customer satisfaction have been the cornerstones of our business since 1961. City Heat and Air. There's your man. Our family has been creating one-of-a-kind pieces of jewelry in West Knoxville since 1986. Each piece is a combination of unique processes that bring your idea to life. Every day in our shop, a truly special item with a story all its own is being manufactured in our facility, bringing the history and family sentiment into a whole new generation of life. We are grateful that you chose us to be Knoxville's best jeweler, a title that we value and respect. Because to me, being a jeweler and owning a jewelry store are not the same thing. I'm Rick Terry, I'm a jeweler, and we want to be your jeweler. Kingston Pike and Campbell Station Road in the heart of Farragut and downtown on Gay Street right next to the Tennessee Theater. With all that sun, sand, and salt water, the beach is a very relaxing place. Unless you wear contacts. Ow! Open your eyes to the best the beach has to offer with LASIK Vision Correction from Campbell Cunningham Laser Center. Ah. You're listening to The Dave Hooker Show, a presentation of OffTheHookSports.com. The internet is full of pictures of each and every one of you. Available on YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and the Off the Hook Sports app. Download now for free. He said nothing you people can't do. Also available on offthehooksports.com. I've said this before, and I decided, I guess back in 1996, while still a student at Tennessee, that I found it best if I'm not going to have to cover politics if I'm not going to have to go out and cover just terrible things such as car wrecks and stuff, and I'm not going to be a part of the news, there's no purpose of me sharing my politics with you. Now, people like Clay Travis would disagree with me, and that's fine. He's doing all right for himself. Good for you. And I'm not going to do that now. So this really has no bearing on whether or not I'm left, right, liberal, conservative, whatever I may be, because I certainly don't want to get into that. But Georgia will not visit the White House. And uh, they have said that, unfortunately, the date suggested is not feasible given the student-athlete calendar and time of the year. However, we are appreciative of the invitation and look forward to other opportunities for Georgia teams moving forward. What do you make of that? Just in and of itself, Caleb, I want you to begin. I'm going to be honest. 
I, and this has nothing to do with how I feel of the job he is doing politically whatsoever. This, I put this on the White House more than Georgia. Most White House invites, now we have one commenter saying that June trips aren't unheard of. Clemson did it in 2017, and that's true. But the vast majority of White House invites are in March and April for college football teams. You can go back and look at it. It's always in the March to April, the range. Heck, Clemson in 2019 went in January right after they won it. It's, they, they want those things done earlier, or either right before or right after spring practice. It is right in the thick of the summer and summer workouts. And I think this is, it's the day after, I believe, the UConn men's and LSU women's basketball teams are set to visit the White House. For some reason, the Biden White House, the Biden White House decided to like cram all these invites in the middle of June. And look, that's a really difficult time in football. Particularly, let's talk about this, Dave. People who want to bring up Clemson doing it in 2017. The recruiting calendar is different nowadays and let's be honest in june you're working around the clock recruiting are you not if you're a coach you are yes and summer workouts have begun i think this has everything to do with the calendar i actually i can't believe i'm doing i usually don't take things people say at face value i always think there's a nefarious motive or a lie here i think in this case it's a thing at face value if i were i mean just to point it out I don't think it's a political thing for Georgia to reject it. One, Georgia is representing a state that did vote for Joe Biden in 2020. And we don't, and I don't think any of their players, I mean, let's be honest, most college athletes don't care about politics at all. And so I don't think it's about a feeling of them. So I think it's, I think it, I think the Biden White House made a real big mistake scheduling it in June, on June 12th. Okay. Um, again, I, I don't want to get into the politics, whether it's Trump or Biden or, whoever it might be. Okay. But I am going to disagree with you on one thing. Um, and I'm going to disagree with the statement that Georgia threw out there. Um, th- this is, this is a bunch of bull. Okay. I mean, they could make it happen if they wanted it to happen. They could, um, they could put together if Stetson Bennett doesn't want to go because he's got off season workouts and he went there last year, I totally get that. Um, and if some other guys don't want to go, I get that. But you could put together a contingent to go. I believe firmly that you owe this to our our nation. I believe this is a big part of it, to go, at least as an institution. And Caleb, you talk about recruiting and all that, sure. But is there any better recruiting than being – at the White House and the national coverage you would get. And we're hopping on private planes, guys, and going in and out. It's not even a full day for them to visit the White House. I find it, quite frankly, disgusting that any team turns down uh, the White House. And if if you have – if an individual has strong convictions about a president, then fine, that individual doesn't have to go. And it doesn't have to be a big deal. However, if you if you are an institution that is state funded and you basically thumb your nose because of the timing, forget the politics. I don't care if it's Abraham Lincoln there. I think it's disappointing. And Travis posted on the board, Kirby probably asked the team and they said they didn't want to go. This makes twice they, they haven't gone. Um, did they not go last year as well? 
there were no there, there was still it was still covid last okay. year there was so they had covid restrictions on white house visits last year okay well so th- that that to me is even more disappointing because it's an opportunity to go if he asked the players and they didn't want to go well i mean that's that's fine if that's the way you want to do it. But does he does he poll the players whether or not they're going to go for it on key fourth downs? Does he poll the players about the game plan on an upcoming Saturday? Asking players, I mean, if that's the case, I mean, you don't know what you're going to get out of the players, for goodness sake. Also, okay, I have to say this. The reason I, I have a hard time the players said, no, we don't want to go. <laughs> okay large let's talk about the demographic a large percentage of these players demographics their moms are the reason georgia voted for joe biden these this is like that's joe biden's key demographic we know what i'm talking about here guys there's no way their moms would have allowed them to say no to that let's just be honest okay i mean who would say no to go to the white house i mean that 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 to me is I, I, I mean, I've, I've been fortunate enough, thanks to Heath Schuler, I've, I've toured uh, the, the, the Senate and, and been able to do all of that, Capitol Hill. But I didn't get to go to the White House. I'd love to go to the White House. I've heard it's actually kind of a dump, falling apart. But um, I would love to go to the White House. And I, I mean, short of some crazy dictator who took away any ability to have a democracy or a free market society, I'm going to the white house. I don't care who the president is. There's been presidents I didn't like, but I'm, I'm going to the white house, Caleb. And I think for Georgia in particular to not at least cobble together 16 leaders or something and take a trip up there. I can't help but think it's somewhat political. I mean, I know you said it isn't and you know more about politics than I do. I'll stay in my lane on this, but I mean, why can't you get a private plane to go? And again, it's like the people that used to not like the Lady Vols because they didn't like women's athletics and the women's team was better than the guys. I'm like, listen, that is a three-hour television commercial in the Final Four that millions of people are watching. So this would be not as big, but it would be covered by national media and it certainly would be covered big time in the Atlanta area. It helps in recruiting. I just think it's dumb with a capital D. I, I will say from a recruiting perspective, I actually am coming around to your side that it may hurt. I mean, because I think, look, this gives a vibe of where Kirby Smart lands politically, there or not. And that probably doesn't jive with a lot of rec- people he's trying to recruit. I'm just going to be honest, guys. Okay. Do you think it, so you think it may be political? We are speculating. I'm I don't be- know. I, I actually don't think it is political. I think it may have been a mistake because it gives off the vibe that Kirby Smart leans a certain way politically. And you don't ever, you know this, you don't ever usually want to give off your vibe, give off that vibe. And so it's kind of one of those things where it's, it's tricky. I, you know, the, the most famous waiting into politics, I, I kind of distinctly remember Mike Leach waited into politics a lot, but Mike Leach was never out of school where he needed to recruit the top talent, obviously. And Steve Spurrier, I remember. Remember when Steve Spurrier went on a rant about the Confederate flag at college game day? I do not remember that, but it was his second year at South Carolina. And I think it was South Carolina hosted Tennessee for college game day. And Spurrier went on a rant about the Confederate flag being shown in the background for college game day. And he said it was embarrassing for the state and the university. I think that had a lot to do with 
there are certain kids that he's trying to recruit at South Carolina that probably feel a certain way about the Confederate flag, whether or not you agree with it. That was that was probably premeditated and orchestrated and he wanted to gain something out of this. I don't think there's anything to gain. I I would be incredibly disappointed if Kirby Smarter, the athletic director, said had political issues with Joe Biden or any other president and they decided not to go on the kids' behalf. I mean, listen, I, I know a lot of former players, guys. I mean, I, I know a lot of former players that essentially the greatest part of their life is done when that last college game is over they're not going to have another opportunity to do something like go to the white house. And to me, it's, it's really disappointing. Um, there, I'm sure there are some guys that wanted to go, you know what I think it is again, speculating. I think it's back to what you said. It is recruiting and Kirby smart thinks that the recruiting calendar is just that important. What, it was June the 12th, right? Yeah. June the 12th. Okay. What day of the week does that fall on? If you can look that up for me, because that, that's what I would be curious about. And if it comes down to recruiting over going to the White House, I think you're being short-sighted. I think that's crazy. I mean, Georgia is not a national brand like uh, Southern California or Notre Dame or even a Texas. It's close. But you make yourself into a national brand when you win a couple of back-to-back titles. You make yourself a national brand when you get that type of exposure. So he's got some big for the record. It's on a Monday? Yeah, it's on a Monday. Well, I mean, if it was on a Saturday during one of their big recruiting camps, maybe. But I, this to me is, I think it's disrespectful to America. I'll be real honest with you. I think Georgia has absolutely thumbed their nose at uh, the United States of America. You could at least cobble together a dozen players and Kirby Smart could fly up there. It's literally going to be like a six-hour trip. And it's during a quiet period in recruiting. Thank you, Elias. Is there such thing as a quiet period in the summer in recruiting? No, 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 not really. But there's such a thing as a cell phone. So yeah. you're, I mean, it's not like he's going off to the North Pole to play with penguins. Right, right. No, I, I get what you're saying. I see what you're saying. And I mean, I, I think, I, look, overall, from a strictly sports standpoint i think this actually hurts him in recruiting more than it helps i'm with you on that i think this backfires in multiple ways quite honestly takes away a certain level of exposure and it gives off a vibe of where you lean politically fair or not that you don't like giving off that vibe because that can hurt you recruiting i mean i think most coaches john we're never going to learn where josh heupel stands politically are we we're never going to even get a hint of where he stands he's not going to ever let us know because he wants to recruit everybody (laughs) and so he's never going to let us know that yeah, I just um, I, I it was really disappointing. If Tennessee did that, um, I, I would be incredibly disappointed. And I think the SEC should have applied a little bit of pressure to get them to go. I'm I'm not a big fan of somebody looking over somebody's shoulder, but that to me is um, a, a really big deal and 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 really disappointing. And and again, I think of the kids. A lot of these kids are never going to have this type of opportunity again. Like I said, I, I was fortunate enough to know Heath Schuler, so I got a complete tour. I got like a crazy good tour, and um, yeah, that, that it was it was awesome. And my kids may never get that opportunity again, but they were with me and they took the tour. And to say if I'd have said no because I don't like Heath's politics or I don't like the current president's 
president's politics, they would have missed out on that. And that that to me is very, very unfortunate. I guarantee you there are some players on that team, Caleb, that are like, darn it, man, that'd be really cool. Oh, there are plenty. I think there's a lot of players on that team that may have wanted to go. So, and, and I mean, to, to give an example, Philip Fulmer, based on some things I know and given where he's from, I'm sure he probably leans to the right politically, which is fine. I think That's- most people that are worth millions do lean to the right. Exactly. Okay. And, but that honest. didn't stop him from welcoming Al Gore into the locker room when Tennessee won the national title, even though Al Gore was probably on the other side of him politically. And, you know, I'm sure... Well, I know Gore invented uh, internet, internet. databases. It, yes, exactly. And on the other side, how um, could you recruit without Al Gore inventing the internet? You could <laughs> exactly. And then on the other side, I've heard stories that I think Nick Saban actually does lean to the left politically. Doesn't stop him from visiting the Trump White House, or he visited the Bush White House in 2005. So I, I get your point. It was for both of them. It didn't matter the the partisan leanings of the administration at the time. By the way, I don't have any confirmation on either of those things, but there's things I, there's circumstantial things that lead me to believe Philip Fulmerlin's right, Nick Saban leans left. That's all I'll say. Yeah, I mean, and and you know that's fine, uh, but still, yeah. I don't care if it's Ross Perot. <laughs> you know, I mean, who can forget that uh, Ross? He united the country. <laughs> What's that? I said he might have united the country finally. <laughs> yeah, I. Mean, I I don't care who it is. I don't care. I mean, how crazy you may think the person is. I know a lot of people think that Donald Trump's crazy. I know a lot of people think that Joe Biden's crazy. And I'm not real crazy about the run we've had presidents lately on both sides. But if if they call me, I almost feel like it's a civic duty. Is that too strong? No, I got you. I got you. I mean, I I I, I understand. I totally understand the sentiment on that. Um, I mean, if uh, I were to do something great in my life. And the White House called me and said, we would like for you to bring your family and your coworkers at Off the Hook Sports because you have changed the face of broadcasting. I, we're we're going to go. And I'll be darn mad at you if you don't go. No, I mean, I I'm not going to express it. I'm not going to make it an issue, but. No, I get it. I think, remember, this is the same. The Biden White House stuck their foot in their mouths when they when Jill Biden wanted to invite the losing team from the Women's National Championship game to the White House. Remember that? And Angel Reese kind of humiliated her. I think it's, that was well, like... That was, agreed. That was a little silly. Yeah. Yeah. And so it was... I mean, that that was kind of one of those things that... Look, I, was, I, I, I... What was the first team, Caleb, that didn't make it political it's during it's been during my lifetime where there there was i, I don't remember teams. there were individuals who made it political um there was yeah. a hockey player okay so the funny thing is tom brady skipped out when on the obama invite after going bush three times but that wasn't because he's conservative or liberal that's because obama apparently made a joke about the flake gate that tom brady took personal <laughs> And then Tom Brady is the type, he's one of the few that could call up and get a tour of the White House anytime he wanted it. So it's not like his kids would be missing out, like these kids would be missing out. And There was uh, a hockey player from Alabama who said that he, during Obama's tenures, who said he wouldn't visit the White House because he has objections to spending policies in Washington, which was like... I want to say yeah. Golden State after one of their championships. Steph Curry. Yeah, that well, that was Steph Curry said it, and then Kevin Durant said it. And then and, and it was hilarious, but 
they a few Golden State people were floating it, and then in typical Trump fashion, he's like, "You guys don't want invitation rescinded," and he tweeted out invitation rescinded. Yeah, that's like when you say, "I'm not going to the party that I wasn't invited to." Yes, exactly. Yeah, I don't want to go to your party. Or the other is like Jada Pinkett saying she's boycotting the Oscars in 2017 when she wasn't invited. Yes. Or the other one is, uh, "Well, you're fired." No, I quit. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like, that's what that was. It doesn't work like that. All right, conference <laughs> talk. Um, Big 12, Pac 12, where will we be in five, six, seven years? Will we? I mean, two years ago, the Big 12 uh, seemed left for dead. Now it looks like the Pac 12 is in trouble with not being able to get uh, a TV deal. Uh, I got to be honest with you. I think uh, the more and more we look at this, I think it's going to be the SEC, Big Ten, and another conference. So, and I think there's going to be, uh, uh, I believe personally, and people would call me biased because I'm from the South, I believe it's going to be the SEC is 1A and the Big Ten is going to be 1B. And then I think whatever this Big 12 thing ends up happening is going to be like three. And then I think the Pac-12 is going to be like 18. I think that the fall off is going to be significant. And I don't know that there's necessarily going to be a Pac-12. No, the, the question is, look, we talked Monday about how I believe Florida State, Clemson and Virginia Tech and, and Miami. I think they're working behind the scenes to make sure that the ACC gets torpedoed, that they don't just leave the ACC, that the conference collapses. The Pac-12 you're right. Two years ago, Big 12 was left for dead. But the Pac-12 TV contract was up the same second that the Big 10 poached USC and UCLA, which has left the Pac-12 in there. They can't find a TV deal that they want. I don't know if you noticed, like ESPN has right. decided we don't really care to carry Pac-12 tier one games at this point. And so all of a sudden, the Big 12, which was always we always felt the Big 12 was on the least stable ground of the five conferences, maybe the third most stable now. And I think what they're doing, and guys, you guys should check this out with Josh Pate on YouTube. He has a, I, I watch him a lot. I know I cite him, but he has a great take on this, which is that the Big 12 hired, I think, a Rock Nation guy from the Asian company to kind of run the show, be their commissioner. They're not going to doctrinally live by the pageantry of college football that we all loved and made it great for 50 years. Honestly, that's fine. The Big 12 has to do something different if they're going to be afloat. The Pac-12 and the ACC are going to still try to live by that. And the Big 12 is thinking, all right, we're going to do something different. They're playing a game in Mexico, I think, next year or, or in a couple of years. They're trying to put games in Mexico. They're doing all these different things to try to make it a national, like, hip brand. Now, the SEC and the Big Ten don't have to do that because the SEC and the Big Ten are just loaded with dominant schools that are just going to bring in revenue. They're going to print money. But the Big 12 has to be creative and think of different things to do. They're oh, finessing... I mean, I can appreciate being creative, but that's just stupid. Oh, I, I get it because, and that's exactly what Josh Pate said, funny enough, because his point, and I think you agree, half the selling point of college football is the, you don't pay for the game. You pay for the whole experience of the game day environment at a college campus. Well, and the other part that's important about football is that, uh, hey, you, you you play on a field that you know is going to be a good field. The NFL had a pull a game from there because the field wasn't up to par. <clears throat> there are a lot of um, 
uh, Hispanic fans of the Dallas Cowboys. So you'll see them go down there and the Raiders as well. And they get a really good showing. But I mean, who in creation is going to show up for an Iowa, Iowa State tilt? Well, yeah, no, I agree. They would have to put some things in there. <laughs> I mean, literally, if you show up and there, and if you make this commitment that you're going to go and you show up and there are like 25,000 fans, you look like a bunch of idiots. Yes, but I think the Big 12 has kind of this idea of let's make some of these teams that are in Texas that play in big cities almost more like pro teams at the college level, kind of how the Hurricanes marketed themselves in Miami over the years. I think that's kind of their plan. And that's a better plan than what the Pac-12 has. Look, they're just trying things. The Pac-12 is trying nothing. And the Pac-12 is left for dead. And I think the Big 12, uh, something I was listening to yesterday, it was on 365 Sports. They were saying that the Big 12, that the hold up with the Pac-12, the reason there hasn't been any more movement with the Big 10, Pac-12, is everybody's waiting to see what TV deal the Pac-12 signs. The minute they finally get that TV deal, that's when you're going to see Oregon and Washington and all these other schools leave. Guys, Oregon and Washington is leaving the Pac-12. They're joining the Big Ten. I don't know when, but they're joining the Big Ten. It's over. It's over. If there's and, one – if the, and speaking of, because somebody posted on our message board, could the Big Ten reach down into Florida, which I guess would be Florida State, Miami. That would sound crazy three years ago, but nobody thought that they were going to go get – USC and UCLA. So I guess it's possible. Is there any team that you absolutely, if you're the SEC, if you're Greg Sankey, you're like, I do not want them to get that team. Florida State, you, Clemson, Virginia Tech, North Carolina. I go. Um, now I, th- I think, I think that it's it's two. It's number one is Notre Dame. I don't think you want Notre Dame going there. I think you're fine with them being on their own. I think that would create a lot of natural rivalries within. The conference, um, you and I both aren't high on Notre Dame as a championship program, but it still is what it is, and it's a very traditionally program. And I think North Carolina would be second. Those are the ones would be, that would concern me. If if I caught wind, and I'm Greg Sankey, that the Big Ten is making a run at Notre Dame, I'm calling Notre Dame. And it, it may not make sense regionally, but it's it is still Notre Dame. Yeah, but I don't. I think the look. I think it's over. I think I don't know when, but the it, Notre Dame's going to the Big Ten. They're going to end up in the Big Ten. I don't know when, but they're going to end up in the Big Ten. And, and I don't think that'll. The SEC that still has a better years brand. Ago, I'm sorry. We probably said that 15, 20 years ago, though, right? No, 15, 20 years ago. Again, something happened two years ago last year that changed for everything. The Big Ten got an NBC deal. Notre Dame is not alone on NBC anymore. So that's where things have changed dramatically. And once the ACC gets iced out, I mean, the revenue from the revenue sharing of these conferences will be more than what Notre Dame can bring in. And Notre Dame, and, and quite honestly, I'm going to tell you this. I'll tell you how the Big Ten can leverage Notre Dame in. Big Ten can go to NBC and say, we want all the primetime games on NBC. You better put Notre Dame at like 11 a.m. or noon and it's, or something like that. That could be their strong arm. Basically say to Notre Dame, we're going to screw over your time slot on NBC unless you come join us. And... Well- that's go ahead sorry no no i'm sorry yeah i was just going to say that but even if notre dame joins the sec still has larger brands overall the sec's only flaw is greg sankey hasn't negotiated as good a deals as 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 the big 10 and he's got to get better about that portions of the program brought to you by zul beer xulbeer.com check them out they have parking and they have great panoramic views in downtown knoxville you will love zul beer xulbeer.com 
Com. Again, worldwide award-winning craft beers. Uh, also, don't forget about that Celebrate 98 series. Eric Westmoreland is up on our YouTube channel. And we will have Eve's pretty I'd say he was pretty clutch in the Arkansas game, Caleb. I don't know about you. Uh, the guy's name is Billy Ratliff. Uh, That's kind of important. Yeah, that, that, that worked out pretty well. Two minutes off the hook sports. Our family has been creating jewelry since 1986, each piece unique with a story all its own. I'm Rick Terry with Rick Terry Jewelry Designs. I'm a jeweler, and I want to be your jeweler. We're grateful that you chose us to be Knoxville's best jeweler. My family and staff look forward to serving you. So please come see us, Kingston Pike and Campbell Station Road in the heart of Farragut and downtown on Gay Street, right next to the Tennessee Theater. Hi, Mike Davis here with City Heating and Air, reminding you to always dare to compare. Our team provides quality local heating and air service, installation, and maintenance across East Tennessee. We use only the best equipment like American Standard Heating and Air Conditioning for your residential, new construction, or commercial needs. Honesty, dependability, and customer satisfaction have been the cornerstones of our business since 1961. City Heat and Air. Dare to compare. With all that sun, sand, and salt water, the beach is a very relaxing place. Unless you wear contacts. Ow! Open your eyes to the best the beach has to offer with LASIK Vision Correction from Campbell Cunningham Laser Center. Ah. Do you want to own the more that owns every job? Then get to Vasti Lawn and Garden in Cleveland and get you a Toro. I'm David Vasti, here to talk to you about Toro. With a Toro Zero Turn, you'll get more out of every minute and you'll reach the finish line faster. At Bassies, we like to say, no matter if you're mowing three acres a week or 11 lawns a day, homeowners and business owners alike find confidence in equipment they can trust from top to bottom. Bassie Lawn and Garden, Highway 60 North in Cleveland. Man alive, it's worth the drive. These mountains hold and defend a spirit far better than moonshine. A drink that holds flavor that becomes necessity. A hard cider made and relished by folk who are as hearty as they are legend. A refreshment that can only be found in one place. With a taste that makes you say, give me three bottles of the good stuff. Tennessee Cider Company, where necessity can be found. Um, who's this guy? Hello, wizard. The Dave Hooker Show. Ooh. A presentation of Off the Hook Sports. What? YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and the free Off the Hook Sports app. Back to Dave Hooker. Your Tennessee Cider Company there, that latest advertisement. And we are so proud to have them as a sponsor of all that we do, in particular the Celebrate 98 series and it is up now with eric westmoreland something you might not have known as our own fred white who joins us each and every friday at one point was homeless and uh, he was hosting a radio show and uh, a decision was was made by him i can purchase the airtime or um i can pay my rent and um it was a very i thought touching story in which uh, Corey Larkins, who you may remember, Caleb, um, saw uh, Fred in his car. And um, Fred's a hardworking guy, cut a couple of tough breaks. And um, uh, Corey said, call Emo, call Eric Westmoreland. And he did. And there was immediately 
a place to say, stay. And you're going to see that once again paid forward by Fred because Dwayne Goodrich, uh, the former cornerback, was in a very a tough position as well. And Fred was there for him. Just um, the, the Celebrate 98 series, we're going to talk a lot about football. But Caleb, it's some of the stories that I've been blessed enough to uncover that really are, are the great part about that team and, and the bond. That's, that's something that um, is bigger than a, a clutch fourth down call. Yeah, it is. It's it's what it's one thing you love about that team. Again, I talked on Monday, just they had a uniquely tight bond. Um, and and that's why I compared them to the bad boy Pistons of the 80s, because when the NBA was loaded with superstars like Michael Jordan, Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, here is this one team that has none of those guys that is massively hated because they're standing in the way of those guys. And they bonded together and won two titles. And here's Tennessee. They're not the sexy team this year because they've lost Peyton Manning to the NFL. That year, Ohio State, I remember, was the number one team. Ricky Williams was the phenom superstar that everybody wanted to pay attention to and they just come from out of nowhere and win it and i mean they did it i think where the bond comes is and i remember watching this on on sunday or i'm sorry watch previewing it on sunday before we put it up last night there were stars that they went head to head with throughout the year donovan McNabb to open the season that they that were bigger names than anybody on their team and they got the best the most notable is you they talked about it on the show dwayne goodrich took Peter Warwick one-on-one. Peter Warwick was the phenom star of that national title game. This was going to be his NFL-style game where he was going to show everybody to the world he was awesome. Dwayne Goodrich takes him one-on-one the whole game, holds him to one catch for four yards and has a pick six. The star of the game, other side, Peerless Price. Four catches, 199 yards and a touchdown. And that was a team all year. And you know that Tennessee also didn't – they didn't isolate guys. So for Dwayne Goodrich to say, I want you – was a big deal because they didn't take a defensive back and just put them on one receiver. That's not what they did. They, um, you know, they, they played side to side, right and left. And for him to say that was a really, really big deal. And you, you talk about the, the peerless price catch. I mean, the guy who made that call was Randy Sanders and that was his first game ever as an offensive coordinator because David Cutcliffe had gone to Duke. So you start getting into start getting into those stories are phenomenal. Yeah. You I think you meant Ole Miss, not Duke with David Cutcliffe. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, he didn't, oh yeah. Or Eli Manning would have had a very different career at Duke. But anyway, yeah, he went to Ole Miss. <laughs> yes. Uh, are we in agreement that if David Cutcliffe stays at Tennessee, does Eli Manning end up at Tennessee? Was the Manning family that tied to, to Cutcliffe? Um, no, I don't feel strongly about it. Uh, I think that but almost um, wanted to make sure, right? Well, you got to remember that the, the Mannings care about the way they're viewed. It's very important to them. And I, I think that the blowback from Peyton going to Tennessee, it doesn't mean it's going to affect their decision, but I think the blowback was a little bit more than they thought it would be. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was just natural. I mean, you, you were going to have with with Eli and his work ethic and David Cutcliffe and how smart he is in putting together an offense and developing a quarterback, they were going to ha- produce a top half of the first round pick at the very least. I mean, nobody knew it was going to be number one, but um, yeah. So 
I don't think Ole Miss was being – I think they could have hired the wrong guy. I think if they would have hired Ed Orgeron at that time instead, I think Eli Manning would have gone elsewhere. Um, but I think they always had the lead because of the blowback that Tennessee got from from Peyton deciding to go to Tennessee. I, I, I do think they had the lead. But when, when Eli signs up – I'm sorry, when uh, David, David Cutcliffe signs up, it's a no-brainer, right? Yeah, it's a it's a huge no brainer. Then I've I've just always been curious about that because of it was they hire Cutcliffe the year before Eli Manning is being recruited, and then they fire him the year after Eli Manning leaves, <laughs> and it just seems so obvious why. They um, you know what David told me about that um, is that they wanted him to make a bunch of coaching changes, and that was his family, and he didn't want to he didn't want to part with as many coaches as they wanted. And also when you do something like that, it's really risky that you're going to be able to get those guys all on the same page in a short amount of time. So it would have been risky for his future. He knew he, you know, when you fire your, a bunch of coaches or you fire a coordinator that struggled the previous year or previous couple of years, you basically have one year, right? That's, that's like your last chance. You just played the last card. So um, they, I don't think that David was willing to do that for a number of reasons, but his contention has, has been all along that it wasn't because he was fired necessarily. It was because he would not get rid of his coach. Let's go to a very special guest. I'm excited to talk to Drew D'Armond of uh, 97.7 ESPN. Uh, he also is with Tighter Insider and uh, a great uh, great host, but also does a great job covering recruiting as well, which I know can be a grind. Drew, how are you, sir? Good, Dave. How are you guys? Welcome. Uh, glad, glad to be with you. So, uh, guys, got, I think I got it figured out. Uh, it's like, thank God cell phones are uh, reliable, but uh, sometimes old iPads aren't. But thanks for being patient and uh, having me on the show. Yeah, we appreciate it. We may be a couple of years of this uh, t- ahead of this technology, but we're going to get it figured out or I don't know. Somebody will figure it out. Hopefully Al Gore invented the Internet like we talked about earlier. So maybe somebody can in- invent even more. But I-, I did I did want to visit with you at a couple of things, Alabama. So you cover right. recruiting extensively, Drew. And um, I'm just curious when when I look at Tennessee's recruiting right now, it's getting it's offering guys early. It's getting guys that they think they can develop. But at the end of the day, they've got to beat the Georgias and Alabamas for the key guys. Probably more Georgia than Alabama. But just as as an overall, you covering recruiting, how close do you think Tennessee is in on some of the the big guys that Alabama is after and really factors, or do they does Tennessee still have a ways to go? Well, I think they're in. They're definitely on the right track. I mean, I think Josh Heupel's done an, a, a remarkable job uh, in his short time in Tennessee. I mean, first of all, what he did was he developed a lot of the guys that maybe hadn't been as productive as they'd hoped earlier in their careers under Jeremy Pruitt. I think Pruitt brought in some good players, but uh, you know the coaching situation maybe wasn't ideal, especially from an offensive standpoint. He did a great job with uh, with the way he's developed personnel, and then of course. The key is getting the quarterback job the spot figured out, and he he did that with Hendon Hooker, who I still said last year, and I still say I know he only went in the third round, but I only go on what I watch in college football. I know they 
They don't really – they draft guys a lot on even potential, even in the NFL. I thought Bryce Young and Hendon were the two best collegiate quarterbacks that I saw last year. No disrespect to Caleb Williams. I know he won the Heisman. Uh, but when Hendon was healthy and then when Bryce Young was rolling, I thought they were the two best. I thought the best game in college football last year – was that Alabama-Tennessee game when you saw two quarterbacks playing at such a high level that it's a 52-49 game in regulation. I And that they, neither one of them were a Heisman finalist I thought was insulting. And really, I've been saying on my show, Talking Ball, that they really ought to revamp the Heisman process because I thought it was ridiculous. I know Hendon got hurt, but he was still one of the best players in the country. And so I think that when you look at it, uh, at the end of the recruiting class last year, at the linebacker spot and along the D-line. Tennessee got a couple of those difference makers that the Alabamas and the Georgias were pursuing. Uh, that's what it's going to take uh, for Tennessee to become consistent. Now they're not going to be able to sleep, you know, sneak up on anybody. They kind of did last year, but one of the hardest things to do is continue to feed the beast. But they're certainly well on their way to doing that. And what he's doing offensively with Nico Iamaliava, and as you see, I've been practicing that because that took about six months to master uh, but he's going to be, I think, a, 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 a guy that's going to have a bright future at Tennessee. And really that wide receiver, the Cedric Tillman development, the Jalen Hyatt development. For so long when I was growing up, Tennessee was wide receiver U. And that had kind of fallen away, but it's coming back. And I think that's because of Josh Heifel and what he's doing. But they need to start stacking recruiting classes. I thought this was his best one this past year. And they're off to a strong start now. And if they stack it with another top ten, then I think Tennessee's well on the way because their next goal, they beat Alabama, but their next goal is to conquer Georgia, who's the best program right now. And they, they you know, they, they played Georgia. They got physically manhandled a little bit last year. But again, they're on the right track. It's just the line of scrimmage that's going to have to get a little bit better. But I think Coach Hypo and his staff are, are approaching recruiting the right way. And certainly it's uh, their, their momentum is good. And you see the kids they're mentioned with, a lot of the buzz. Ain't no three stars anymore. Not really a lot of fours, a lot of fours and fives. And that's what it takes. It takes a lot of Jimmys and Joes, not as much X's and O's to win at the highest level in the SEC. So you're in the weeds of recruiting. You are seeing a difference in, in terms of who Tennessee's linked with. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. I mean, but the, the one problem that Tennessee has, and this is not their fault, um, they're in a state where – there's not as much talent. Now, there's going to be, you know, four to five guys a year. They need to get those dudes that are big-time prospects. But there's not 10 to 15. So, Tennessee has to recruit well nationally. Philip Fulmer did that really, really well. And they raided Atlanta and Georgia a lot and got some really great players. And they've started to do a little bit of that. They've even come into Alabama. like, And they've gotten some under-the-radar guys. Like Squirrel White had a really nice Orange Bowl. He's got a chance to be a really nice slot speed guy for them. Uh, they've come into Alabama. They got Beeson Lang, who was an underrated guy that some other SEC schools wanted. And that's another thing that I've been impressed with with Josh Heifel is he hasn't been afraid to rattle the cages of Alabama and Auburn and come into the state of Alabama and recruit. He's certainly done that, and he's certainly starting to do a much better job in the state of Tennessee. You saw what they did last year at the end of the year, getting the best player in the states right from under Alabama out when it looked like uh, he was going to come to the tide. So, again, I think they're doing a, a really nice job. And the key, though, to the drill is they got Ian Maliava from California. They're going to have to recruit nationally uh, to, to probably uh, fill a lot of their needs because the state of Tennessee is good at football but not great, and that's the key for Josh Heifel. But he has a lot of contacts. Uh, you know, he was in Oklahoma for a long time. 
Uh, and of course, in Missouri is an offensive coordinator. So he was already familiar with the SEC. So I think his approach is good. Uh, and I think the more offensive success they have, they're going to become an even sexier program. You look at what Lincoln Riley's done at Oklahoma and now what he's doing at USC. Josh Heupel has a chance to be right up there with the offensive masterminds. And let's face it, guys, defense still wins championships, but offense is what uh, sells tickets. And he certainly knows how to put together an offensive system. And Tennessee is going to start becoming one of those it schools. If Joe Milton lights it up and becomes an NFL draft pick after this year, Tennessee is going to become one of the hottest brands offensively in recruiting. It's interesting, especially coming from a, an Alabama perspective. All right, let's turn to Alabama because I want to get your thoughts on on spring and then Nick Saban with another fantastic recruiting class. I think he's going to uh, coach till he's like 220 like Methuselah. But <laughs> uh, uh, first of all, in spring, uh, Alabama picks up a, a transfer quarterback. We – wondered from afar is that a sign of desperation that uh ty simpson and Jalen milrow didn't get it done in spring how did you read that well i read it that they weren't satisfied yet with the development of Jalen milrow who's going into his third year and who i've watched extensively and i'll say this on your show he's probably the best athlete that i've ever seen at quarterback at alabama but as you guys know because joe milton can throw the ball He's even told people 100 yards. Uh, Joe Milton is extremely fast. But that's not all what quarterbacking is, because if it was just about being physical, he never would have lost the job to Hendon Hooker. Hendon Hooker is a, a tremendous, was a tremendous quarterback from the neck up, was a great athlete in his own right, but was a great quarterback. And I think Jalen Milrow has been under development since he got there. He came out of Katy, Texas, in an offense that wasn't uh, supremely uh, – it, it was simplistic. It wasn't – a sophisticated passing scheme. He's having to develop. He didn't get a lot of playing time. Uh, the first year behind Bryce, he was redshirting. Uh, you know, and last year he got a little bit due to injury, uh, but struggled throwing the ball. It's always been with him consistency. He'll rip two great throws, and he'll make eight that kind of make you shake your head. And so I think Coach Saban was still concerned about that after spring. Ty Simpson had an opportunity. Y'all are very familiar with him uh, from Martin, Tennessee. His father, the head coach at UT Martin, played the balls. Uh, you know, they, they were – I think they they thought he had a golden opportunity to win the job. I thought he would separate before the spring, guys, but he did not. There wasn't a lot of separation. And I think when Coach Saban and Tommy Rees, his new OC, put their heads together after the A-Day game on April 22nd, they thought, okay, we've got four dudes. We've got Dylan Lonergan, who we really like, true freshman from – Brookwood in Georgia, but again, he's, he has no experience. Eli Holstein from Zachary, Louisiana has no experience, and our other two guys have barely any. So they wanted to add some experience and competition to the room. Uh, Ty Buckner is a guy, Tyler Buckner, that Tommy Reeves recruited out of San Diego, was very high on. He, he talked Brian Kelly into not taking a transfer quarterback two years ago when Jack Cohen got done because they thought Buckner was going to be the guy. He started out, struggled a little bit early last year, then he got hurt. And then he came back and was MVP of the Gator Bowl. But, you know, the Pine kid, he went to Arizona State, filled in, was okay, not great. And I think Marcus Freeman realized we've got to add more experience and, and more talent. And they did that with uh, certainly the young man, uh, uh, Sam Hartman from Wake Forest. And then he beat out Buckner. And when that happened, Reese pounced. And uh, they knew this kid might move on if he didn't, uh, you know, win the job in the spring. He has some experience. Uh, he's a much better athlete than people understand. He's a, he's a really shifty, nifty runner, but he's also developing as a passer. 
But I will say this, guys, it ain't going to be a three-horse race. You can't do that in college football. It's got to be two guys. And I still think it, it, it points to Ty Simpson if he matures <laughs> and steps up because I thought Ty took some steps forward. If he takes more forward uh, in the fall, I still think it's going to be Ty or Buckner and that we'll see Milrow probably move on. But, again, I thought Milrow would move on after Buckner came in and he stayed. So it's going to be a really interesting next couple of months in Tuscaloosa. But I think it's a it's a quarterback position that has potential but not a lot of experience. And so I think that's what concerned Nick Saban and Tommy Reed. I know Caleb wants to jump in here. I want to remind everybody to hit that like button and uh, follow Drew Armand. Am I pronouncing your last name correctly? Mine's easy, Hooker, but you don't want that. <laughs> well, yeah, it's, it's – it's you're very very close. It's the Armin, uh, but uh, and uh, it's got kind of a French. Uh, it's uh, origin in it, but hey, that's uh, I appreciate it. Yeah, it's uh, Drew Diarman, and uh, yeah, I've been been doing this now for about eight years, Dave. And I know you've got this show rolling, and always appreciate opportunities to come on uh, shows like this uh, and talk some football. And uh, I appreciate it, and I uh, really and I'm enjoying uh, you know the conversation, and certainly Alabama and Tennessee. You know, I think it's better for the SEC for Tennessee to be good. And now with that win for the Vols, it's, there's a lot of juice in this rivalry all of a sudden. Well, we're definitely not letting you out of here yet, but how do people follow you on Twitter? Yeah, absolutely. They can follow me at DrewD977 ESPN. That's my personal account. Our station is 977 ESPN in the Rocket City of Huntsville, uh, just near the Tennessee line and in North Alabama. And then, of course, we have our new uh, streaming channel, and that's what I just wrapped up. It's called The Blitz Sports. Uh, we talk recruiting a lot on that show. We talk some today with Rodney Orr, uh, my partner at TiderInsider.com. He's the patriarch and owner of that great site, and uh, we cover Alabama like no other. And it was great catching up with him because Alabama got the big commitment from Trey Amos, uh, the corner who had a lot of uh, offers from around the Power Five. And uh, they need, Alabama needed to add some experience and depth in their secondary after the spring, and they may not be done with Jalen Key of UAB. So we'll see. But that's kind of the storylines we're following right now. Drew, you're knee-deep, obviously, in the recruiting in Alabama and in the state. And I, I, I want to get back to a hypo comparison because sometimes the barometer for what's the offense of the future is who beats Alabama. And obviously, Josh Heupel and Tennessee beat Alabama last year. But, you know, nine years ago, ten years ago, there was that Cal College on the other side of the state that Bear Bryant likes <laughs> to refer to a mess, <laughs> which was Auburn when – Auburn beat Alabama in the 2013 famous Iron Bowl. There was this idea at the time, Gus Malzahn had the cutting edge offense and there was the idea that he was going to change college football. And then he stalled for 10 years for five, 10 years and never really matched what he did. How can you assure Tennessee fans that the same issue won't happen with Josh Heupel or will it, where it just stalls after a splash of a year? Well, I thought Gus Malzahn's biggest mistake, guys, and I'm sure you guys followed his career at Auburn, uh, which lasted, I think, eight seasons. But, you know, during that time when he beat Alabama in 2013 in year one and then, uh, you know, scored 44 points the next year, uh, he had Nick Marshall at quarterback, who was a dual threat, who gave Alabama all kind of problems. And matter of fact, it, 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 the, that 2013 game you're referencing – uh, made Nick Saban go back and change his offense and realize, okay, if we're going to hurry up, no huddle stuff, and they're not going to call the ineligible lineman downfield, I've got to adapt. We've got to score points. That's what it's about now. We can't play wide ball is what he, he used to refer to it as, tight formations, 
and trying to run the football all the time and game managing, we got to become more dynamic. He brought in Lane Kiffin. He changed his offense. And the next Iron Bowl, if y'all remember in Tuscaloosa, even though Blake Sims threw three interceptions, it was 55 to 44 in an arena football game, which kind of – so Nick Saban had to change. Uh, if Josh Heupel sticks to his principles, and I thought – that's where Gus Malzahn did not. He started trying to recruit drop-back guys, and I thought guys that uh, didn't give Alabama as many problems because they didn't make plays with their legs. He just got away from – and I think he got too predictable, too, offensively. If Josh Heifel continues to evolve, if he continues to recruit the Nico Iamaliavas, if Nico's as good as people say, uh, and, and plus, if, if you know – if if, uh, if he can get, get Joe Milton rolling because Joe stayed, kind of like the Jalen Hurt situation. Many people thought, is Joe Milton going to stay, even though he'd already come from Michigan? But, you know, Josh Heifel recruited Joe Milton hard when he was at UCF. I think he'd always wanted this kid. He convinced him to stay. He watched Hooker develop. Now he has a chance to put up numbers. The key is going to be to the drill, being good this year, and putting stacking seasons on top of each other. If you develop two quarterbacks, and then Nico Iamaliava heading in, uh, you know, uh, to the fourth year becomes a great player. Then, much like Alabama transformed themselves and has become a quarterback destination for great players and, and, uh, and five stars, Tennessee will too. It's not going to take long. And Tennessee's on their way already to becoming a sexy school offensively. But I will, I will say this, though. I think Tim Banks has done an, you know, an underrated job defensively, but they've got to take the next step because they didn't rush the passer quite as well as they wanted to a year ago. They weren't as disruptive. They didn't force as many turnovers. And they've got to become better defensively, because that's their key to beating Georgia, uh, because they've got to become better along the line of scrimmage, better at rushing the passer. Uh, and if they can beat Georgia and get to the college uh, in the SEC championship game, then they're going to be in the college football playoff. And even then, now, really, for Josh Heifel, everything's about timing. This expanded college football playoff is really going to help him where he's got this program going, because I've been joking on my show that the rest of America, and I'm talking about non-SEC people, and there are a ton of haters out there, their heads are going to explode because I'm just telling you with a 12-team playoff, there's going to be a great chance for four SEC teams to be in every year. I agree with that. Drew, I said this 10 years ago, and obviously I was wrong, but I thought that Alabama was on the decline at that time because Nick Saban was, was getting a little bit older and I just thought at some point with his turnover in this coaching staff that you run out of good guys to pick up the phone and call. And we're in a situation now where he had to replace both coordinators, but the recruiting's been great. I think uh, the entire SEC, other than Alabama, would like for Alabama to be on the decline. And uh, Georgia has gotten the best of them recently, but are they on the decline or is Georgia just that good? No, Georgia's the best program in the country right now. I mean, I, I was critical of, of Kirby early in his career, but you can't be right now. I mean, they're the two-time defending champions. Uh, they were 15-0 and 0 last year. Uh, they, you know, Now, I will say, I will point out, they're 1-7 against Alabama now. They've won once, right. not you know three or four times now. And Alabama had some injuries that were key in that win, but Georgia won the game. That's all that matters. And then Georgia went 15-0 and 0 last year. And, uh, you know, they didn't have to play Alabama. Uh, they whipped LSU in the MSC championship game. Uh, they were able to survive against Ohio State. Uh, C.J. Stroud uh, really kind of did what Bryce Young did, just Ohio State didn't pull the game out because I don't think Ryan Day is as good a coach as Nick Saban. But certainly you got to give Georgia credit. They played their best game at the best possible time against TCU. And so far 
you know, uh, Kirby has been able to be the one Nick Saban assistant that's been able to reach the highest level. There's been so many like Will Muschamp, Jeremy Pruitt that have not, uh, but he certainly has. And uh, I, I don't think Alabama's on the decline, though, yet. I think their talent is still really good. They went 11-2. and two. They lost to a, a Tennessee team. Let's not forget, if, if Tennessee beats South Carolina and finishes the year with one loss, they're in the college football playoff last year, in my opinion. Uh, but they got an injury at the bat and played a, a poor game against South Carolina at a bad time. Uh, and so they ended up – but they still ended up going to the Orange Bowl and they won. So it was a quality Tennessee team. You lose on the road in the last game. And then you lose to LSU, who Alabama was better than. They should have beaten LSU. Uh, but it was the one time uh, that Alabama didn't play very well. Uh, you know, Bryce still wasn't 100%. And to give, I'll, I'll give Brian Kelly credit. He went for the win. Uh, he didn't want to get into overtime with Bryce Young. They won it on the last play, and it kept Alabama out of the playoff. Now, if this had been an expanded playoff, probably both Alabama and Tennessee were in a 12-team, but it's not. So Alabama missed it, but we I've seen this with Nick Saban before. I know he went back and, and kind of went back to the future with Kevin Steele, but I think it was a good move. I think Pete Golding had run his course. He just was he was a good defensive coordinator, not elite. And Nick Saban's defense had slipped and he knows that. And the key with him, coaches never come back with the same staff ever at Alabama from one season to the next. But he always seems to have his his finger on the pulse and knows when he has to change things. He knew that in 2013. And I think he knew after this past season that with the personnel they had and what they had returning, that they had to get back not to not to wide ball. They're still going to spread it out, but they got to get back to playing more physical on both lines of scrimmage because that's the only way they're going to beat Georgia because Georgia right now is the bully on the block. But Alabama had to go back to their core values, which, you know, Kirby has, you know, learned everything from Nick Saban. But now Saban kind of uh, paying homage to his pupil by knowing they got to get more physical as well. Um, Drew, uh, before we let you get out of here, I wanted to bring up the, I'm sure the Alabama baseball gambling scandal scandal you guys have been covering and the Todd Bohannon being fired. One has hit Iowa now too, with Iowa and Iowa State has, have a, has a bunch of players suspiciously betting. How serious is the Alabama one and how big of a deal is this with college athletics in general with the legalization of sports gambling? I mean, overnight you're getting betting scandals everywhere. Well, you are, and that's it's a what it is. It's a it's a product of NIL, and what I mean by that is these players are getting paid. Um, I think a lot of them at, at major Division One universities and SEC schools, probably one through eighty five, is averaging twenty five thousand per player. Now, not everybody's making the millions Bryce Young's making, but they've got money in their pockets, and and you got look, guys, I'm on your show, but you see all these podcasts popping up, and they're sponsored by Bet Rivers and FanDuel and everything else. And this stuff is easily accessible. And, you know, these, these kids sometimes don't make great, great decisions. And, and that's probably what's happening in the Iowa situation. I was even talking to a former college coach this past week, and he had been on not the Division One level, but a lower level. And they had to have a meeting with their team because guys were, uh, you know, taking advantage of these fan duels and things of that nature and, and betting. So it's a very dangerous and slippery slope. It's something that's going to have to become, you know, Nick Saban, Kirby, I'm sure uh, Josh Heupel, they're going to have to start having meetings with their squads, and it's going to become a daily topic to monitor. And even for someone in the athletic department to have that unsavory job of trying to monitor everything, but it's become very real. Uh, Brad Bohannon, I knew him very well. Uh, I had go, uh, we, we'd had him on my show many times on Talking Ball. Uh, we had a great relationship. I went to cover Alabama a lot. 
Uh, and I was shocked. I mean, when I heard the story break, I thought it was just maybe a parent found out that Luke Coleman was injured and told a friend he ran to maybe make a bet. I never thought it was going to involve a player or coach. I was naive. Uh, and it didn't involve any players, it doesn't sound like, from what we hear, even other coaches. But Brad Bohannon, I mean, it's so shocking and stunning that instead of worrying about beating LSU, you're betting on your team to lose and you're caught on camera making a bet, I mean, an hour before the game against LSU. It's just unforgivable. And in, in, in a lot of ways, it's, it's a lot more serious than what Hugh Freeze was accused of doing and fired for at Ole Miss. Uh, you know, even what Jeremy Pruitt was fired for, because when you're talking about the integrity of the game and potentially throwing games, I mean, that's like the Pete Rose situation. That's Brad Bohannon's career is probably over. And so it's just been a surreal time and one of the craziest I've ever seen, even more so. I mean, I, we, with the Brandon Miller situation, the Alabama basketball is well documented. But I, to be honest with you, this was even more shocking and just disheartening. And if you're a player playing, busting your tail for Brad Bohannon, and, he, and you find out he bet on you to lose, how do you play for that guy? Now, I, I mean, I don't know. And you really even shouldn't bet on your own team to win for different reasons, especially in baseball. You shouldn't be betting at all. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, wow. I mean, I mean, it's just crazy to do that. You're you're that high profile a guy at a school like Alabama. You got a problem. You got to be a degenerate gambler if you're doing something like that. And that's just it's just a very sad situation. But I do commend the players and coaches at Alabama for responding, to, for beating a really good bandy team. They got a win over Troy last night. We'll see what the rest of the season holds. But certainly it's been a tough, you know, six months for the Alabama Athletic Department. No no, no doubt about that and for Greg Burns. Okay, but Drew, here's, here's my, my take on this, is that the way Alabama handled it as an athletic department is they leaked out that no players were involved. Uh, they, they leaked out to, uh, that to – uh, one of my friends, Andy Staples, with with the Athletic, um, and that's been reported by a couple of different people, but there was no statement to come out that I'm aware of to say no players were involved. I I've just seen these little things start really small and get really big over time. So if I if I said you have to make a bet that um, this continues to grow or this is the end of it. What would you bet being closer to the situation? Because it just looks like something that could continue to fester and grow to me from the outside. Well, I mean, the NCAA is going to investigate Brad Bohannon and Alabama baseball, so it's not over by any stretch. Uh, they're going to Alabama is going to be in in uh, lockstep with the NCAA, and they were in. Uh, and I know Greg Byrne was in lockstep with Greg Sankey and inviting and, uh, talking, telling him about the situation, and then quickly. Uh, moving, uh, you know, at warp speed to remove Brad Bohannon. But, yeah, I mean, it's not over. Uh, the, the betting is illegal, for, is a violation, it is an NCAA violation. So, certainly, the NCAA is going to look into this. If Alabama's handled everything properly uh, and, and, and crossed the I's, uh, or excuse me, crossed the T's and dotted the I's, pardon me, if they've, if they've done their due diligence as a department, and we don't know that yet, but if they handled everything the right way, if they – truly looked into this situation and they continue, I'm sure they will continue to with the players and the coaches, uh, then they can get out in front of this. And I don't think it'll be a huge issue going forward for the baseball program, but with the NCAA, they're unpredictable. You can never say never. Uh, they make examples out of programs in the, you know, at times if Alabama, if they uncover anything more later on with a player or another coach, I'm sure that it could lead to sanctions. Uh, so it's just something to monitor, but I mean, it's never good when your head coach is released for something like that. I've never seen it in college baseball. 
uh, when I was starting to think of betting scandals, I started thinking about Boston College back in the 80s. And I started thinking in uh, Arizona State, Stephen Headache Smith, who was caught shaving points. But I, honestly, I've never seen a coach like directly implicated. So certainly it's not fun for Greg Byrne right now. And that's a situation they're going to continue to monitor. And I can't say for sure that it's over, but certainly they're trying to get on top of it. And it's probably a situation that will uh, linger on into the summer and when they're trying to make their hire. It'll be interesting to see what kind of effect it has on Alabama as they try to uh, either promote Jason Jackson if Alabama makes a deep postseason run or if they do what I think they're going to do and have a national search. But certainly it's uh, going to be interesting to see how all this uh, shakes out with what's going on at Iowa and Iowa State and at Alabama. Drew, great stuff. Again, how do we follow your work? Yeah, Drew D977 ESPN, uh, 977 ESPN on the station and at the Blitz Sports for our streaming channel. Uh, You can find all our content on our SoundCloud page as well, Dave. And I really appreciate the extended conversation with uh, you and Caleb and uh, continued success with your show. And hopefully we can be on again uh, to talk some Alabama. And it's going to be a big game, Alabama and Tennessee, coming up this year, uh, coming up in the fall at Bryant Denny. Going to be an electric atmosphere, I'm sure. And two of them, maybe the top four teams in the SEC hooking up. Great stuff, buddy. I'm, I'm sorry to keep you this long, but you have a fantastic afternoon. The info was fantastic. Thanks, guys. Appreciate Thanks, it. Thanks, Drew. Drew Armand. I think I did better on the uh, the name that last time. Caleb, do you think it's over? The betting stuff? Yeah, the gambling. No, gambling I think we, I don't know with Alabama, but we've just scratched the surface. This is going to become a gigantic issue across so many different. I don't know. I mean, specifically Alabama. Oh, specifically Alabama. I don't. Right now, it only seems to affect Brad Bohannon because I think he pulled his ace for the game. So I. I, Uh, Yeah, like it was a strained back. Yeah. So right now, it seems to only like it. If it was involving players, you would just tell your players to go throw it themselves. You wouldn't pull starters where you, you wouldn't hamstring them. And so I don't think it's over. If I we'll handed see. you a, if I handed you a thousand dollars and you had a bet, it's over or not. I would bet it's not over. I'm with you. It's not over. I think there's gonna be more. I just don't know how deep it goes. I don't know if it goes I don't and know. By if it's not over, I mean somebody else involved. Yes, I think someone I don't think it's over. Someone else is involved. I, I don't know. I, I don't, but I, I'm not sure we just scratched the surface of it. I think we're pretty deep in. I just don't think it's over. Well, there's so many of these stories. And again, like, like I've mentioned before, Caleb covers politics that start with like a little bitty something. And then over weeks, there's like, whoa, this is a and massive this is company. Why, you never yes. And this is why Congress needs to get involved. I know everybody's like, Congress needs to stay out of everything. They need to get involved in this. This is blatant insider trading that's going to affect every single sport and so many jobs. They need to pass a uniform standard where if you bet on a sport you are involved in at all, you face federal prison the same way someone who is guilty of insider trading faces federal prison. Period. End of story. No questions asked. Your pet deserves to feel better, whether or not it's digestive issues or arthritis, or maybe it's a social or car ride anxiety. They got the chill pills at crafttreats.com with CBD. They also have other fantastic craft treats and uh, pet snacks that your cat or dog will love. The CBDs will really help your pet feel better. Use the promo code off the hook, the promo code off the hook at 20% off crafttreats.com. That's crafttreats.com. We will talk to you tomorrow. He's Caleb Calhoun. I'm Dave Hooker. This has been a presentation of off the hook sports.
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.